Yes, sir. We got the drum beat going and we're going to keep our podcast moving along. Welcome to the Man on Second podcast on Real Voices of the Game Productions. I'm Joe Sarah with our co-host and producer, Dave D'Agostino. And as always, our mission here at the channel is to raise the baseball IQs of our audience. We will do that today with our special guest, former MLB player and coach and former minor league manager and hitting coordinator, a guy who's done a bit of everything in the sport, Andy Barquet. Um, Andy was um, is a World Series champion. He was the assistant hitting coach on the 2018 Boston Red Sox. But before we bring Andy in, uh, let's bring in Dave with some announcements. Hey, Dave. Joe, Andy, thank you. I, I just want to say thank you to our audience now, 51,000-plus subscribers we're listened to in 74 countries. We appreciate your support out there. Make sure you guys tune in on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, or Stitcher. And now our newest platform, iHeartRadio. I want to thank iHeart for taking a shot on this podcast network. Um, make sure you give Joe and Andy five stars today. Write some nice comments underneath your stars. And that way we can show iHeart they made the right choice. And we can successfully battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. And um, if Andy wasn't global before, he's going to be global today. I think we got a great <laughs> guest in our hands. Uh, yeah. Uh, again, thanks. Real quick uh, intro on on Andy Barquette. Andy's from South Florida. I've known him a long time from back when this day is when he was with the Marlins. He played uh, at Miami Killian High School, uh, played college ball at NC State. 2001, Andy appeared in 17 big league games with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, long history of managing and coaching in the minor leagues. Most recently was the minor league hitting coordinator for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, but right now, um, unfortunately, the White Sox did not retain Andy. And Andy is now a free agent in coaching. But as we know, and I know Andy, he knows the ups and downs of this profession. And Andy Marquette always lands on his feet. Andy, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, thanks, uh, Joe, Dave, for having me. And uh, it sounds like you guys are... Are, are, are like uh, like Pitbull, Mr. Worldwide. You're all over the place. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, we're really growing this and and we're having a lot of fun and fun with it. Andy, kind of explain to our audience uh, on the coaching side, what exactly does the minor league hitting coordinator do? So uh, a minor league hitting coordinator is in charge of, of basically building a hitting program um, and sustaining a hitting program for, you know, all 85 to 100 hitters in a minor league system, um, managing the coaching staff, developing drill packages, uh, developing uh, different ways to train and prepare for games. And, and, you know, but at the end of the day, it's really about coaching the coaches uh, just because the coaches are there, their boots on the ground with the players every day. So, so they have to have a plan um, to, Number one, with the early work and, and who we're working with every day and what we're working on. And then secondly, in the game prep and and what we're doing to prepare for that night starter. And then, you know, preparing them to learn about hitters meetings and, and pitch metrics to talk together as a team so that we have a plan to go out and attack today's pitcher. So, you know, a hitting coach used to be just a hitting coach. And, you know, Tim Hires was was my partner uh, in Boston. Now he's a, the, the hitting coach for the Texas Rangers. And and he kind of not kind of he taught me that hitting coach now is more like an offensive coordinator. You're really trying to bring this offense as a group together and with a common goal of going out to beat their pitching staff every day. So so my job as a hitting coordinator is, number one, to. Uh, you know, put in a plan so that our hitters can grow and get better through drill packages, mechanics, all those things. 
um, working with the biomechanics people, working with the strength and conditioning department, and then preparing the hitting coaches to be major league hitting coaches and and so that they can prepare the the hitters to be major league hitters. So I know that may be a long answer, but it's a, it's a pretty uh, comprehensive job. So obviously the, the cage work and so forth is one aspect of it. Uh, the, the preparation, the paperwork, the, the looking at the data is the other, how much of your time is kind of split to involve? Well, uh, you know, from a coordinator's perspective, my job is really to watch the hitters uh, from, you know, a 10,000, feet view, watching video after the games, uh, talking to the hitting coaches the next morning. Hey, what's going on with this guy? What's going on with that guy? And you're kind of, you know, you're like, it's like you're spinning plates. You got six or seven plates spinning real good and you got three or four wobbling over here and you get those spinning real good. And then these other are wobbling over here. So you're, you're constantly, um, you know, you got five, four, five, six clubs you're dealing with. You're constantly, you know, trying to, to help, help guys, help the coaches, uh, so I really, you know, I don't get into the the, the preparation part because we train our coaches to do that. So as a coordinator, you're just kind of overseeing the whole thing and then, you know, problem solving and, and, and helping guys out where you need to. Oh, interesting stuff. And, you know, we're all watching the playoffs right now. How mm-hmm. much, and you were part of the 18 Red Sox and what they did to win it all. How much does approach change or, or does it in the postseason? Uh, I mean, it really shouldn't change your approach. I feel like whatever's made you successful throughout the season, you know, you should carry into the pro season with you. If you have a really solid offense that's clicking on all cylinders, nothing should really change. I really didn't, um, being a member of that coaching staff and that club in 18, I mean, we were in LA and in the world series on the brink of winning it. My phone's blowing up. People are like, man, I see you on TV, all that stuff. And I really didn't, we were so locked in on the, on the daily operations of what we were doing. I did realize, obviously, where we were and what we were doing, but we were so focused on the on the day day to day operations, the same things that we were doing in June, July, August, uh, we were still doing in October. And so it really doesn't change your approach or how you go about it. You just continue to prepare the same way that you prepared all year. So it's the continuity more than more. Than yeah. Anything. Yeah. We had a little saying Eduardo Nunez in his broken English uh, on our club that year who had a big pinch hit homer. And I think it was game one. He called it passing. He couldn't. He didn't say baton very well. He called it pass the ton. So we uh, that was our rally cry that year was uh, was was to pass the ton. It was just hey, you got to take the walk and lay off the three one slider uh, to get to the next guy. Then that's what you do. We're not we're not cheating to try to hit homers here. We're taking what the pitcher gives us. Uh, we have a game plan. We know what he has. We know what his strengths are. We know where his weaknesses are. Uh, we know where um, he's susceptible. We know where he, he his trap is. And so we're, we're going to stick to that as a group. And when nine guys all sell out to one plan, you know, that's where you see an offense doing what they're doing. Like when I watch the Texas Rangers, I can't help but smile because I know Tim's behind that with the same with the same type of message. Yeah, obviously an explosive team, explosive offense with a really good chance to get to the World Series. And that's going to be a, an amazing um American League Championship Series against Houston, another team that can mash as well. And what do you know? So obviously, hitting is timing and, and all that other stuff. And we're hearing a lot of stuff about the the hundred win teams that you know the layoff and and so so forth. What, what's your thoughts there? Because your hundred eight win Red Sox team, they didn't seem to have a problem, you know, dealing with the the postseason. I get it; it was a little bit different format, but. You know, how do you, how do you kind of see those two things going hand in hand? 
Yeah, I, I, you know, there's there's part of me that feels like, hey, when you have a team that's clicking and, you know, the rhythm and timing of the game, the ebbs and flows, like you want to keep playing. Like you don't want to stop playing because then, you know, everybody kind of gets a little stagnant and passive. And 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 uh, but then there's also a side of me that, hey, if you're beat up after 162 and you need a week to kind of heal up and feel better, like players sometimes need that time, you know, so it can kind of go either way. I think the Orioles for example, like they weren't playing, they didn't really play any different than they did towards the end of the season in the playoffs. They just weren't playing great. I think they were playing a lot better earlier in the year. So I don't really, you know, it didn't seem to affect their team. The Dodgers, I mean, you can argue uh, that, that, you know, those guys, they really didn't pitch well. They didn't pitch great, but they also didn't swing the bat. So did, did it hurt them? I don't know. If I'm managing the club, uh, I don't want a week off. I, I want to keep playing. That's just that's the competitor in me and just knowing my team. But I feel like it can go either way. It can hurt you or help you, and uh, it's tough. Like it, it, when we when we won in, in 2018, the the round the uh, wild card was one game, so it's different. There's not that there's not that much of a layoff. I, I the wild card being one game, I don't love because you know anything can happen in one game. Three games kind of gives you a better shot and is more telling of of how your club's playing and so forth. So, but then you know, the division winners have to wait. So. You know, those are questions for people who make a lot more money and are bigger seats than, than I to answer. So, <laughs> yeah, as, a, as I'm sure our audience knows, my, my son works for the Diamondbacks. So I'm not I don't have a lot of sympathy for the Dodgers or the, 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 <laughs> the you know, the waiting around because that yeah. wild card team has to win 13 games. The And the wild card team is on the road. most. Like the Rangers, for instance, I just looked when they got home the other day, they had been on the road since September 24th. Wow. You know, so there's a lot of grind. And if and from the Dodgers standpoint, you know, they still were out Urias, Walker Bueller, Tony Goslin, and um, and uh, May, whatever. Mm-hmm. I can't remember yeah. But, it, you know, so the, the week off wasn't going to help their pitching staff. You know, they yeah. still were a flawed team going into po- to the postseason, which is part of it, obviously. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, those dudes, those, I mean, th- those guys you mentioned that were on the shelf, I mean, those guys are healthy or don't have, you know, the issues that they've had off the field. That's a whole different team you're dealing with there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you're, you know, dealing with a, a Kershaw who's not the Kershaw of old and you don't have Bueller, you don't have May, you don't have uh, Urias. I mean, it's, that's a different club, you know? So, um, you know, the mystique of the uniform doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't, make up for a lack of pitching. (laughs) Exactly. You you know, you need those horses to win in October pitching. It all comes down to how you pitch, you know, at the end of the day. Exactly. Dave, jump in. And you can tell in two seconds that you're a fantastic communicator. And it's no wonder why you've served so many different roles in in professional baseball with success each step of the way. As you've experienced each role, and again, we've got, we have grassroots to major league front offices. So we have, pretty much tapped in every, every front office out there. So I ask you this question uh, a little bit tongue in cheek here, but what, what, what do you feel your niche is? If you, if you were to be, mm-hmm. you were to, as you jump back in, cause there's no doubt that you will, um, mm-hmm. what, what, what's your, what's your best suited role for you? Uh, well, best suited role as far as job, I don't really, you know, I, I'm not sure I, I've done it all. Like I managed, uh, at every level of the minor leagues managed in winter ball in the Dominican Republic three different times, uh, you know, I've been a hitting coordinator, a major league coach, uh, assistant hitting coach, whatever. And, and I've coached third base when uh, in the big leagues for 40 games when Carlos Fables, uh went down in, in 2019. So I've done a little bit of everything. 
Um, I think coaching third is, is probably the most fun job because you feel like you're kind of part of the game. Um, yeah. That's pretty that, – That's but as far as like what I'm good at, I feel like communi- communication with players. I always had a heart for players. I got into coaching because I feel like, um, you know, players need an advocate. Players need somebody to believe in them. You know, when you go back and, and I look at my own career, I was a non-drafted free agent at NC State, grinded through the minor leagues and, you know, had a lot of um, – a lot of forces working against me, so to speak. So I, I needed people along the way to say, to look at me and say, Hey man, you can play in the big leagues. Like you're going to be a good player. And, and, the, and those, those little conversations when somebody, you know, somebody believes in you uh, are, 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 are more powerful than any, any swing mechanic that I can teach somebody. And so, you know, and then taking all those experiences as a minor league manager, we're basically, as, you know, at, at every level of managing in the minor leagues, yeah, you're in charge of the club and you're running the game. But at the end of the day, your job is to motivate young people, keep them pushing forward through the failure of 140 games and, and then, you know, and then get them to, to produce on the field the best they can. Well, guess what? As an as a assistant hitting coach in the big leagues, you know, I'm in the cage every day with these players and they're walking in. And guess what? They have self-doubt, too. I, I, I thought the major leaguers, that was one misconception I had of big league players. I thought they had it all figured out. Good-looking guys, lots of money, in shape, on TV, driving nice cars. They got it all figured out, right? No, man, they're just as human as you and I. And they struggle with things off the field, and they struggle with with uh, with confidence and believing in themselves. And, and I'll say this all the time, at every level, self-doubt is the best pitcher in baseball. He'll, he's going to get you out 10 out of 10 times. And so – um, my job every day, I felt like, or what I'm best at is is getting somebody to be able to believe in themselves and to go out there and, and, and be the best version of themselves they can. There were many times uh, Mookie Betts won the batting title in, in 2018 and the MVP. Uh, I believe he won the batting title. I know he won the MVP, but every day he... There, not every day, but there were days where he was like, hey, I don't have it today. Like, I, I, it's, I don't feel it today. And we had to like, hey, you know... I, talk Mookie Betts into going out and, and being a, a, a the superstar that he was because he's just he's just a human being and, and he just was feeling self-doubt and that's just normal for all of us right so uh, being aware nobody likes to talk about that but being aware of that and and then diving into that I feel like is something I'm not afraid to do uh, so communication bringing people together I've been a part of a lot of championships in the minor leagues uh, division win uh, wins as a player as a, as a manager. And I just, I just know what it takes to, to be a champion, to win. And so, uh, and so just being a part of, a, of an organization that, that um, where I can affect people in that manner is I feel like what I'm good at. Yeah. That's, that's a great answer. It's in uh, I've got one more question, Joe, if that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure I'll have some later, but um, you know, there, there's, there's the influx right now of information, and turning that information into intelligence is is a is a trick in today's game that maybe uh, maybe wasn't as uh, it wasn't shot through a fire hose like it is nowadays where there's so much. And I, I asked Dan Jennings the same question yesterday. We talked about him before the show. Gave me a great answer. I said, "How do you how do you meld all this information into intelligence and then mesh it with your experience?" And he's like, in his great Southern Alabama drawl, he said, "David." You got to look both ways, just like your mom and dad taught you when you cross the road. You look both ways, you take everything into consideration and you make a decision. But if I ask you the question, how how do you how do you meld that uh, the influx of analytics with the great number of experiences you've had to give that communication, that proper communication to a player? 
Yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, you got to be an expert translator and you have to be able to to take uh, the information and be able to translate it to Rafael Devers, who's from Samana, Dominican Republic. And then you have to be able to translate the same information to Mitch Moreland, who's from, you know, Mississippi and who speaks Mississippi ease. You know what I mean? So it's like you get all this information, but then you have to be able to like speak the language of that player and connect with the player. That's why the personal relationship is so important. They have to trust you and trust what you're saying is that they can take into the game and use. And so, uh, you know, if you go in, in into to Rafi Devers and say, Hey, his IVB is this, his, uh, his spin rate is this, his, uh, his tilt is this, he's going to be like, Hey, you know, I don't want to hear any of that. But then you, you know, you tell him, Hey man, this fastball, you better stay above it. It's hoppy. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to jump on you. It's 92, but it's really going to play like 95. And you got to, you know, you got to stay above it, like be ready for the heater, but like more than ready in that type of language. It's, it's, you're, you're taking that information and you're, you're translating in a way where that, that particular hitter can get it. You know, I'm bilingual. So I'm, you know, when, when, when Rafi Devers would come in and say, Hey, you know, what's this guy got? You know, I was able to use uh, my, my, my not perfect Spanish, but close enough to be able to, you know, explain to him what, uh, what was coming to, he was going to have to face that night based upon all the video and all the metrics and all the advanced reports that we had already read that we had spent hours looking at to, in that, in that one, two minute conversation, it, it, you got one chance to deliver that message and you better deliver it the right way. Oh, that's good stuff, Andy. And, you know, I wanted you to kind of expound on something because we're dealing with a a different generation of player in this technology age where kids are on devices all the time and the words, the the verbal communication doesn't seem to be. How much do you see coaching a player of today? I'm talking more of the young player, uh, probably the, you know, minor league player, not quite yet established big leaguer compared to even a decade ago. Yeah, it's, a, it's obviously a lot different. Number one, the young player is more distracted, you know, than, than he's ever been. You know, when I managed uh, in the minor leagues, I remember having a no phone rule in the clubhouse in double in A and, uh, you know, don't be on your phones in the clubhouse. And, and goodness gracious, if you try to do that now, oh, you gosh, ain't wearing it in the outfield now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're distracted. So, I, I mean, you know, there's some players that are, 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 you know, that are too deep into technology that are too dependent on it. And it's almost as a crutch, just like mechanics can be a crutch at times. And then there's players, you know, that, that maybe don't, um, that aren't studying enough, you know, that, that are, that aren't using the information that they should be using. So again, it's just about, you know, the personal relationship, getting to know the player uh, because the game of baseball really it has changed a lot, but at the end of the day, it hasn't changed. You know, you, 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 you've, You've got to have a winning mindset. You've got to have a really good, solid routine every day. You have to believe in yourself. You have to be confident. And if you don't get into that batter's box with a uh, an approach of ready to hurt somebody and attack that baseball with supreme confidence, you're beaten. And so uh, that that through the test of time will never change, no matter how many metrics we have or don't have. And so the self confidence of a hitter, I feel like, is something that we need to build up every day, no matter what. Uh, this this generation is doing or not doing, um, but like redirecting them, teaching them mental resets, I feel like is super important. Uh, there's obviously we have a pitch clock in baseball now with 17 seconds in between each pitch, or it varies depending on the minor leagues, big leagues. Uh, but what are you doing with that 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 time? Like, are you uh, what are you thinking about? 
and what what are you what are you what are you focused on? Are you, is your mind wandering to your Snapchat? Or or if it is, then we have to have something click your click your uh, batting gloves or, or hit your spikes with your bat to knock the dirt off to reset your brain so you can focus on this heater that's getting ready to come. So, um, you know, the the young player I feel like is distracted. So we. To answer your question, redirecting them to focus on the task at hand and keeping them on point is really the goal uh, more than anything else. And how much you hear, uh, do you you always hear it? He brings his defense to his offense. A guy makes a big error or a guy is really struggling in the field. How much do you see of that and what do you say to a player who you might sense is a, a good hitter who just is upset at another part of the game that just happened? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the game of baseball is is to be good at it. You have to learn to control your emotions. Emotions are part of the game uh, for sure. Feel them, deal with them, and then we need to move forward. Does it feel crappy when you make an error with the bases loaded and you let in two runs and it leads to a beginning? Yeah, it's awful. Been there and done that. Does it feel crappy when you strike out uh, with with the base is loaded and, and, you know, cost your team a potential chance to score runs. Yeah. It doesn't feel good. It's miserable. And, and, but that's, what's, you know, that's kind of the beauty of the sport and the separator. It's the people that are able to, to take the failure and reset their mind and go out and still be good and still be a pro. That's the difference between a major league player and an, and a mature player to an immature minor league or college or amateur player. I remember playing in winter ball, and I used to be, hey, I grew up in Miami. I, I, I have some Cuban blood in me. So uh, I, I, was, I was fiery and, and, and emotional. You know, hey, I, I, was, I was the hair club president. You know what I mean? Like I was the guy, I, I was one of them. I used to snap and, and, and knock over this and throw buckets of, bat, uh, of bubble gum on the floor after striking out, I remember one time. And I remember going to winter ball and playing with uh, Tony Valentin and and Will Cordero and Benji Molina and these, and I'd see them strike out and I'd see them just walk back to the dugout and they, they would show no emotion. And I was like, wow, how do they do that? And you, know, you play with Miguel Tejada and you're playing with in, in the Dominican with David Ortiz. And I got the chance to play with Miguel Cabrera in, in Venezuela and you see them fail uh, in the game or make an error, which they didn't very often, but when they did, you couldn't tell any difference. So I just kind of started acting like them. You know what? I'm going to do what they're doing because I want their respect as a pro, and I see that they're acting differently than me, and so I I want to be even keel because. And then you start acting that way, and then you start realizing, hey, now I'm on defense, and I was able to control my emotions, and now I'm able to make this play where before, you know, my mind was still on that at bat I had four innings ago where I can't believe I disappointed the team. That's why the mental game is so important, Joe. Like. You know, I feel like we can all teach the swing now. Heck, you get on Twitter, you can you can find 75 different hitting coaches in five minutes. But really, how how any of those guys teaching you how to deal with you know your approach and your mental game and your mental resets and staying focused at bat per at bat? So I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but I hope I answered your question. No, you did, and it, it's awesome stuff. And it's, it brought up uh, a point in last night's game, and we're we're recording this podcast on Thursday morning before the Phillies and the Braves play their game four, but it is after the Diamondbacks uh, completed their three-game sweep with the Dodgers, where Gabby Moreno, the very uh, good young catcher for Arizona, hits a foul home run. It's called a home run. He runs the bases. <laughs> He's, they they review it. They overturn it and call it a foul ball, which it was. They got the call right ultimately. 
but mm-hmm. I believe it was literally the next pitch. He homers to left center. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, just that, I think that's what you're talking about. How just the, especially a young player to be able to, to wash that aside and not, and then, then hit even a more, you know, impressive home run. Yeah. 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 We used to say, I remember flicking sunflower seeds in the minor leagues, you know, just shooting the breeze and somebody, you know, everybody throws out random stupid information sometime. And I remember some pitcher said 99% of the time after a foul home run, the guy strikes out, you know, and I think that his, his, uh, his scientific research to back up that stat was absolutely zero. Uh, But, but at the same time, you know, you, you do see people, you know, hit, hit a home run foul and then, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to hit the next one, you know, and then they, they're, they're cheating and, and, and swinging at anything. And, and so, uh, um, yeah, that was impressive. It's really hard to do that. You know, you, you hit a home run and you're all geeked out and then you get it taken away. And, and now I got to go back in and, and refocus and recommit to my plan. And, and, you know, what's, what's uh, Lance Lynn going to throw here? What am I hunting? Uh, and then, you know, and just that, that's why I talk about that mental reset. It's so important to be able to, to, to get into your, the batter's box Take five seconds to, to analyze what just happened, five seconds to commit to what's going to happen, and then five seconds to engage into the battle against the pitcher. Uh, and that's what that kid did last night. He was his, his reset and his mental reset to get back in the box and, and get into attack mode was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I remember uh, that brought back memories too because I remember Mike Lowell. He did that when the Marlins are playing at the old ballpark in the football stadium, and he had a foul home run, ran the bases, and that was pre-replay, but the officials came and and Mikey just lost it. He smashed his helmet. He 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 went he went ballistic when they overturned it. Yet he got back into the batter's box, and I believe he did strike out. But you know, Mike Wolves is much of a pro as anyone I ever covered in forty years of covering sports. And just talking to me after that game, and he said, he goes, yeah, it, it is hard, but it's my job to refocus and not let my emotions get the best of me and, and to just regather myself and then, uh, and then have the, the at bat. And, but he kind of explained it in a way, even though the result was the negative one where he didn't get the home run. I think he ultimately had the strikeout, but his answer was what I expected from a, a Mike Lowell of, of just, Hey, whatever just happened positive or negatively, you have to watch it and then just move on. Dave, you got a thought. Yeah. Andy, would you re- repeat that for our audience? I think we've got a, we have 74 countries with these grassroots kids. You broke it down in the five seconds, five, 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 re- repeat that for them. Cause that, that's an approach I think that's lacking today. Um, in part because we have such an inertia for immediate success with these kids. And as you mentioned, so eloquently they can find a hitting coach on YouTube, which most of them do, but they're not talking about approach. They're talking about mechanics 99% mm-hmm. of the time. Met, repeat that for always at five, 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 you said. Yeah. I mean, uh, you five seconds to analyze what just happened. So example would be, okay, I, mm, I just took that slider in the dirt pretty good. Or, Ooh, I fouled off that fastball. I was a little bit late. All right. Now the next, the next five seconds would be take five seconds to, to commit to your plan. All right, here we go. I'm hunting this fastball right here. And then the last five seconds, uh, I, I I'd like to, to talk, you know, about engaging in the battle with the pitcher. So tapping home plate, looking at the pitcher and say, all right, big boy, let's go bring it. And, and so using, using that time you have in between pitches to manage your thoughts, gather your thoughts, and then re-engage into the battle. 
because it's the, the opposite's really super easy. Gosh, I was late on the fastball again. Man, I'm always late. I'm 0 for 4, and I haven't had a hit in a week, and so forth and so on. And then your mind starts spiraling, and then it's strike two, and it's strike three, and you're sitting on the bench. So managing, you know, take – and you can practice this. You know, all the young players that are listening to this, you know, don't sit there and take 100 swings as fast as you can because the game's not played like that. You get one at a time, and you have time in between them. So why not practice that way? I, I, I don't understand why we like to take so many swings so fast because the game of baseball isn't played like that. So, uh, you know, golfers, when they're practicing on the range, you don't see them just take one flip, flip, flip the ball to the golfer, swing, swing, swing. He's taking his time. He's analyzing his shot and he's working on his movements, his, his thought process. And the same should happen in baseball. Yeah, I like I like the word, the word choice you use in battle, you use in hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and, and the phrase for our young audience, as Andy's saying, it's you're at bat on your terms. You know, mm-hmm. as a pitcher's trying to dictate the pace, you're, you're trying to dictate the, the flow as well. Mm-hmm. I've, I've got a, a question as far as, you know, that these kids have so much information at their fingertips. And in, in some ways, I wish I had that as a young kid, too, where I could find anything I wanted, touch of a button. But with all that information comes responsibility. And how, how do they tell the difference between the legit guy out there or, or woman teaching, mm-hmm. hitting or anything, any baseball skill and, and, uh, and the guru, quote unquote, the guru that's out there. Yeah. The, uh, I try to stay like as far away from those, um, conversations and battles as I can, just because it's just, you just can't win. There's no, there's no need arguing with people as far as all the hitting gurus go, but anybody who's just talking about mechanics only, I would stay away from because that is not the secret to hitting. And, and I think it's actually poisoning the young player. We, we had this happen many times with, with draft picks uh, from, you know, this actual draft. Really good players from really good programs. They'll come in, take a fastball down the middle, swing at two sliders in the dirt, and go back to the hitting coach and ask him what's wrong with his swing. <laughs> right. And, you're, and, and this happened multiple times. And you're going, hey, man, like, you didn't swing at a strike. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you chased three pitches in the dirt. That's not your swing. But it's become such a crutch for young players because, oh, if I have this perfect swing, I'm going to be this good hitter. It doesn't work that way. No such uh, thing. No. it's uh, I mean, you got round ball, round bat. I mean, there's so many different things that happen. The ball's moving. You're off balance. Uh, body control, rhythm, timing, approach. There's, there's, For me, it's if you're not teaching the hitter a holistic approach where I'm looking at the whole hitter here and not just his mechanics, then – and for me, you're, uh, you're, you're, you're selling somebody short and I would stay away from people who just talk mechanics. Yeah. No, thank you for that answer. That, that helps our audience out a ton. Andy, how do you get buy-in from young players? Um, you got to relate to them. You got to get to know them. You got to, uh, get to know their families, get to know their, you know, girlfriend situation and, uh, you know, what their interests are away from the field, get to know what makes them tick. Uh, cause they're not going to, you know, the old saying, nobody's going to, you know, care what you know, unless, unless, uh, unless you know that they, you know, they know that you care. And I feel like, uh, you got to care about people. You can't just, you can't just do this to, to push your agenda. Hey, I'm this super smart hitting coach with all this super smart stuff and you need to learn it. Uh, you're not going to get by in that way. You're going to get by in having relationships, caring people, believing in people. Um, and, and that's, that's the difference maker for me with a good coach is a guy that really cares about his players and, and those guys are going to listen to what you have to say and they're going to um, they're going to you know want to learn from you and want to want to buy into what you're teaching 
uh, first because they, 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 I remember being a player and, and with coaches standing in front of the room, I would always, you know, ask myself and, and say, does this guy really care about me or does he just want to get to the big leagues himself? And I know that players, when they're looking at us as coaches, they're, 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 they're wondering and thinking the same thing. So, uh, so yeah, I feel like you, you have to build personal relationships with them to get buy-in. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's totally, <laughs> it's very important that the human relationship. And I, I guess that's kind of a, a theme that a lot of our channel has is, and we don't want to see it lost is the human side of it where the, the data just, because as you noted, the data can be a crutch or, or it could be, Oh, I didn't do this because, uh, or I deserved a better result because instead of just talking out a feel and you're in, oh, I know you're a very personable guy, uh, you find that organizations want people to be a vocal or they want people to be more following a script. How are you kind of sensing where the sport is right now in that regard? Yeah, I feel like it all depends on what organization you're talking about. I feel like there's um, I feel like there's enough people in the game that understand that, you know, you have to connect with people in order to get your agenda across, whatever your agenda might be. Uh, you know, there's there's organizations that are super analytical that. Uh, are, are really uh, trying to run the organizations and run their, their their clubs in the big leagues with with the numbers. But, you know, at the same time, I feel like there's enough people that realize that uh, that you have to be able to connect with players. Players are human beings. You can't just joystick them um, and, and, and just, you know, add this mathematical equation to a human being. And that's going to equal what you want it to come out to be. It just doesn't work that way. There's just too many factors in, 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 in the human element. And so, um, I feel like, you know, there's enough, there's enough general managers and, and, uh, and major league managers and people and farm directors out there that realize that, you know, if you're, if you're doing this job long enough, players have issues, players have issues off the field. They're human beings. They have, you know, uh, family members that might pass away, unfortunately, or, or are sick or, or, or players may go through divorces or, or, you know, have issues themselves. And, and with addiction and so forth. And, and uh, if you're not in tune to that, then, you know, you're, you're, you're going to have a hard time winning because that's going to be part of your organization. That's going to be part of your deal. So I feel like, you know, obviously we have lots of information that's super helpful in the game now that can really help us develop and help us win. And, and all organizations are using that, but I feel like they all still realize that, that you have to deal with these, these players um, and, and the human side of things in order to get them to produce. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Now, we, we know you in your history, you know, uh, I go back. My second year on the beat at MLB.com was 03, and the Marlins won the World Series, of course, that year. Mm -hmm. And that gave me a foundation. I know what it looks like. You know, it's fortunate. It's unfortunate. It's the only World Series I ever covered. But you still knew what being a champion looked like. Yeah. How much did 18 in Boston and winning that mm -hmm. championship change how you look at the sport, even with all the years you've been in the sport saying, Hey, this is what it has to look like to get to the ultimate goal to not just be happy with, Hey, you know what? We won uh, 80 games or we won 55 games at a, or a guy hit 300, you know, right. where you, where you see the bigger picture, the, what all that it takes, all the little bit of sacrifice. How much has that changed you? Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like, and I, and I tell people this, that I was fortunate to be a part of like, you know, Major League Baseball utopia, where you have superstar players, David Price, Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, Mookie Betts, J.D. Martinez, and Xander Bogarts, Raphael Devers, 
uh, Jackie Bradley, Ben Attendee, this great group of guys. And I'm sure I left people out, but the, 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 you had them all playing together and working together for a common goal. And, you know, that, that was a, a tribute to, to Alex Cora and our entire coaching staff, quite honestly. It was just uh, everybody on the same page and everybody with a winning championship mindset every day. There was no selfishness. There was no, uh, you know, hey, I'm playing for this contract and uh, X, Y, and Z. It was everybody uh, focused on winning the game that night and doing everything that they can to win the game. It was just like everything I had learned as a professional baseball player growing up of what it was supposed to look like, it was that year. And then in contrary, in 19, uh, you know, we, we didn't play great. And, and honestly, it was it was a different it was a different vibe. We had, you know, Mookie's trout had just signed at the beginning of 19 in spring training. So now the pressure's on Mookie to put up numbers to get paid. And, you know, J.D. had an opt out and is Mitch Moreland's a free agent. And, and it was just, it, you know, it was a different vibe on the club. And so I saw, you know, it was it wasn't night and day difference necessarily. But in 18, it was just like. You got everybody pulling on the same rope with the same agenda, and that's to win the World Series from the first day of the season. We had a uh, a team meeting at a restaurant in Tampa uh, or team dinner right before the season opened up, and every one of those guys stand up and spoke, every player. And it was just a, a moment where a bunch of people came together as a team, as a group of men like with an agenda, like we're here to win. And I remember Kimbrell was the last person to, to speak and uh, and he was like, hey, let's just just get me get me the ball at the end of the game. I know what it means. To, I know what what's on the line here. And it was just like, wow, like we couldn't be around a better group of of players uh, w- with with the same goal in mind. Like this is this is a special group. So uh, and, you know, and, and you'll probably anybody you ask that wins a World Series will probably tell you a very similar story that that's that's the, the, the vibe that they had when they were they were part of it. Oh, absolutely. And no one could take it away, a championship. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I've covered sports for over 40 years, and that 03 Marlins team was the most impressive champion I ever covered. And, and in my heart, it's the team I have in the year I cherish the most, you know, yeah. because I respect all that. Not that I don't respect or, or appreciate everything that because things are at a lot of players' control and in a lot of sports, but just seeing what that was involved. That group uh, is always very dear for exactly what you're saying. And Jack McKeon kind of repeated what, what you said about, and he, he kind of saw it. Jack kind of saw it in 03, even before they won it. He goes, this is special right now. And what these guys are building, and they may not, it may never look exactly like this again. Because he, he said, this, this, and we're like, what do you mean, Jack? He said, the sacrificing where, you know, Hudge Rodriguez on his own sack bunting at key moments to help win a game or or guys like sacrificing their personal numbers for the good of the team. Uh, guys sitting the bench willingly saying he's hot right now. I'm not. Um, you know, there was a lot of that team coming together. And it's always kind of rounded out my thinking. And um, I'm so happy that you <laughs> And I'm glad for you to be able to share what that means to be the word a champion. And um, it, it's really special. Dave, any last questions before we get before we wrap this up? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in today's world, it's a lot tougher to do what what you're saying, Andy. And I think your experiences would lend itself to a club in today's climate where it's all a lot. A lot of our world's about self-promotion. And as you describe team, you're not talking about just the players. I mean, you. You've got to be in line, front office, scouts, uh, you know, amateur scouts, advanced scouts. Everybody's got to give up a little bit of themselves 
for the betterment of the squad. And, and maybe you can talk to this a little bit. The key in that, it, maybe not so much giving up the betterment of yourself, and not everybody wants to give up the part that is needed, correct? Like um, I liken it to six-year-old sharing toys. My daughter will give up the toy she doesn't want to play with, but the one that the other kid wants to play with, a little harder for her to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what's the the space between the notes on that? Um, because it is, it's tougher today. These kids are all, you see them all on social media. I mean, it's, it's a look at me generation. Um, how, how do you find that? How do you get not, not only to give up the betterment of themselves, but to give up the part, maybe they don't want to give up. Yeah. I, I, I think, uh, you know, consistency as a, as a coaching staff, you know, Tim hires and, and I, uh, met in October when we first got hired and, and basically, uh, we, we, we had never met, we had never known each other. And he, the message was, Hey, we're going to do hitters meetings every day. And I just need you to back me on the hitters meetings and, you know, let's you know, continue to encourage because the players are going to reject it. They're not going to want to do it. They don't want to meet. They don't want to study. They don't want to listen. They just want to play baseball. And so, but it's really critical. And I didn't honestly understand, you know, the importance of what he meant at the time. Cause again, managing in the minor leagues, yeah, you have hitters meetings, but I didn't, we didn't have the, we didn't have the information available to us at the time, like they do in the big leagues. And so, um, when he brought the game plan every day and it started off, it was rocky. Like the, the hitters meetings didn't, weren't, you know, all that, um, the, the guys weren't really participating all that much at the beginning. They were kind of bored by it or not wanting to do it. You can just tell that just by the, the body language, but by the middle of the season, the players start are, are leading are looking forward to the meetings and we're leading the meetings themselves where, where Tim really was just kind of a facilitator. Tim and I were just kind of like, you know, getting it started and let those guys kind of do their thing and develop the game plan together. Now you got, they're owning their process. Now when the players are owning the process, now that's, that's the difference because they're not on their own agenda anymore. Now they're talking as a group of what their plan is and they're holding each other accountable to what their plan is. So they, then they go out and do it. And if somebody's, you know, if somebody's not on board with the plan, it sticks out. And then, you know, you can hold that guy. Hey, man, you we were not supposed to swing at sliders tonight and you swung at three of them. What's going on? You know, and that guy might be held accountable because he's trying to put up numbers to be selfish. Well, that gets redirected for the next day. Hey, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. Obviously, we're not going to be perfect, but let's all bust our butt to stick to it. So it's really again, it's kind of a common theme, getting everybody on the same page and and being that offensive coordinator or, or manager of a club that this is our, our job. And because the pitching staff that year was the same way. Those dudes were, you know, let's get the ball to Kimbrell at the end. The starters, you know, held each other accountable to get five, six innings and get to the middle guys. And I mean, it was it was a lot of accountability, a lot of, uh, you know, self-sacrifice in that. It's not about me and my numbers. It's about the team and what ends up happening. And, and this is a, a message we give to players all the time. When you play like that, your numbers are, will be there at the end of the season. Everybody wants to put up numbers. That's the secret to how to put them together. Play to win every day. Play to, to sacrifice for your teammate and for the team. And, and when you do that, your numbers are, are, are going to be fine. Because when you try to put up the numbers and you try to control the numbers, that's when we, we have selfish at-bats and that's when we end up failing. And, and it ends up you end up you know, being counterproductive. So, um, you know, sacrificing yourself for the team, doing your job every day and focusing on your job and getting the players to do that is really the goal. And that's, that's the way of, of reading between the lines there and, and, and kind of putting it all together. 
Well, it's probably a great note to end on. And you can see why Andy Barquette has had a long career in professional baseball. And we know we'll be landing on his feet. And when he does, um, we'll let you know. <laughs> and uh, Andy, we thank you, my friend, for for spending some time with us this morning and, and your insights. Uh, and we'd love to have you back on at some point in the near future if you're available. So uh, great having you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, Joe, for having me on and thinking of me. And Dave, I appreciate uh, getting to know you and your questions. And uh, good luck with the podcast. I look forward to being uh, being a guest uh, again. Yeah. Uh, Dave, final announcements. No, br- brilliant interview, Joe. Andy Andy is a phenomenal. Uh, at any club, would be lucky to have him. And uh, with our audience, uh, you got a great treat today. Uh, phenomenal treat with this interview. 51,000 plus, 74 countries, grassroots MLB front offices, 900 colleges tuned into this as well. Uh, we appreciate your support. Make sure you support Joe with Man on Second. We've got episode 313 in the books. Make sure you give him five stars. Write some great comments so we can, as as Dan Jennings said, look both ways. We're battling the analytics of the podcast world just like we're doing in baseball today. So give us a little hand here. Let iHeartRadio know they made the right choice. Joe and Andy, thanks so much for a great interview. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.